0: Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Allison Insero, Managing Editor of the American Journal of Managed Care. In this episode of Managed Carecast, we feature an interview with the lead author of a study appearing in the May issue of the American Journal of Managed Care, describing how states with the most restrictive scope of practice laws Black primary care providers to care for beneficiaries who are dual eligible for both Medicare and Medicaid. Our guest is lead author, Dr. Wendy Zhu, Associate Professor of Health Services Management and Policy at the College of Public Health at The Ohio State University. Welcome, Dr. Zhu. Can you just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your work? Hi, Allison.
1: Uh, my name is Wendy Zhu. I'm an associate professor in the Division of Health Services Management and Policy in the College of Public Health at Ohio State University. Uh, well, a large part of my research has been focusing on um, uh, vulnerable populations uh, in the society, including those who, with low incomes, uh, especially uh, people with uh, multiple chronic conditions, all elderly people and those living in rural areas. And uh, access disparities have been uh, a big focus of my research.
0: So you and your co-authors have an article in the May issue of the American Journal of Managed Care called Dual Eligible Beneficiaries and Inadequate Access to Primary Care Providers. What prompted you to do this study and what was the objective?
1: Uh, Thank you for the question. Uh, I'm actually glad you asked. Um, Well, for me, for my research interest, um, the access to care issues for the most vulnerable populations in our society has uh, always been a great research interest. And I've seen, um, especially illustrated by the current ongoing pandemic, uh, some of the elderly poor populations were, were devastated in their communities. Um, so this study was conducted pre-pandemic, uh, but the issues were there for a very long time. Um, the, the dual eligible populations represent about uh, 12 million uh, people in the U.S. Uh, their vulnerability can clearly be seen from uh, their eligibility criteria to both Medicare and Medicaid. Uh, Most of them are very poor and over the age of 65, uh, or they have to have a very significant disability with low incomes to be eligible for um, the the two programs. This is why we often call them as dual eligibles or duals. Um, While further added to their vulnerability is the, the reality that Medicare and Medicaid uh, combined cover a wide range of, of services for or those enrollees. Uh, but those two programs were really not designed to work together from the beginning. And each program only covers um, some segments of their care. Uh, so traditionally, for um, forever, uh, the duals uh, literally uh, experienced uh, frag- very fragmented care with uh, disjointed financing. Um, that backs to your question about the motivations for my study. Uh, we were Our study was really motivated by uh, a series of demonstrations from uh, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services uh, in the past decade. Where the government uh, has been testing different models uh, new models to align the financial um, incentives incentives of those uh, two distinct programs, Medicare and Medicaid. Um, Align the financing with in, in with the integrated care of primary care, uh, specialty care, hospitalizations, and other facility-based care for the dual eligible beneficiaries. Well, to just name a few, people uh, are aware known about the financial alignment initiatives, and, and the fully integrated uh, dual eligible special needs plans. Um, so those are well known ones. And states are highly encouraged to adopt and try those new models. Now, uh, I want to remind us that we are talking about uh, a population where majority of them have uh, multiple chronic conditions with mental illnesses, and many of them also have severe disabilities and functional limitations. To to truly realize the the benefits and promise of those new integrated models, uh, primary care is really the core in each of those models. Uh, Without an adequate uh, supply of primary care workforce um, in in the local region, um, implementing those integrated care models can be very challenging and they won't bring uh, the most effective benefits for the new eligible populations and and may fail to achieve the goals. Uh, however, there is no imp- real empirical evidence to tell this uh, whether primary care work for supply are um, where the, the uh, most needed by those vulnerable, fully eligible uh, populations. So that motivated us to um, investigate whether the um, those duels are um, where, those, where they are concentrated in different parts of the country and whether uh, they are uh, geographically uh, co-located with primary care clinicians in a variety of clinicians. Uh, Typically, uh, the society and researchers and a lot of policy discussions focus on primary care physicians for good reasons. But there are other uh, important types of primary care clinicians, especially nurse practitioners and and, uh, physician assistants, who deliver uh, comparable quality of care for those vulnerable populations in Medicare and Medicaid. Um, So that's why our study also includes uh, the nurse practitioners and the physician assistants.
0: And what did your findings tell you about um, the access that people who are dual eligible have to primary care?
1: Um, In our study, we researched um, basically each each county in in the U.S., and and there are over 3,000 of them. Uh, We we have some very interesting findings Uh, for counties where um, there were the highest proportion of uh, dues among um, their county residents. uh, We define them as uh, like the high-density counties so in those high density counties comes with concentrations of dual eligible beneficiaries we found uh, about a third of them also uh, are regions where you have a real shortage of primary care physicians in most of those counties uh, we w- in most of those counties where you see a very high concentration of duals in the uh, shortage of primary care physicians we also discovered a shortage of physician assistance and in fact the pa um, uh, shortage highly overlap with physician assist uh, with, with primary care physician shortages we found it very interesting that in about half of those counties where uh, there are like a, a big concentration of dues uh, um, and also with uh, primary care physician shortages uh, you, you see primary care mps filled in in those regions um, in fact we observed the highest supply of primary care uh, nurse practitioners in those uh, counties where there is a huge need of primary care for uh, the dual eligibles, but on the other hand, um, surprisingly, uh, we did find that about eight percent of counties with very high uh, density of dual eligibles where they live, um, they were actually in in the like really dire situations where they have the lowest supply of. Nurse practitioners, along with a shortage of physicians, and there were no PA, uh, no physician assistants either in those uh, regions. So, um, and those regions, uh, not surprisingly, tend to be very poor areas with high poverty rates. And um, a lot of them uh, are also rural counties. And they, they are actually mostly located in the southeastern states, including Texas, Louisiana, Alabama, Georgia, and South Carolina. That is where those, uh, we say, uh, primary care uh, deserts locate.
0: And to do this study, you used data from 2017, correct? Before the no. pandemic, as you said? Yes. Yes. How long do you think this has been going on for? I know that your study, you know, was limited in terms of the, the time, but what's your feelings about historically how long this has been the situation in the Southeast and the shortage of primary care providers? Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, we back then when we were conducting the study, or uh, we used the most current data back then, uh, but those. Uh, those data have been uh, pretty consistent over time in terms of, and, and I did test it uh, a couple of years before that. It is highly consistent that some of the uh, areas, especially the southeast regions, have constantly or uh, forever had a big shortage of, of primary care. Uh, workforce, And they have been historically very dis- disadvantaged regions with high poverty rates and with uh, with a very high disease burden where people often call, uh, there are two America, like uh, the Northern part of America and the Southeast part of America, where you see um, a, a very higher proportion of people uh, with disability benefits and they're, uh, grow, they're aging faster. And uh, we also did find, um, a lot of those Southeast regions also have a very high concentration of dual eligible beneficiaries and they live in some of the counties where about like almost half of them are eligible for for the dual programs.
0: Were any of your findings unexpected or did anything surprise you? Uh,
1: There was a bit.
0: Uh, You would
1: imagine within the state or uh, within nearby counties, you would have very similar geographic findings. Uh, but what we found is um, within Southeast, uh, there was a, a diversity in, in our findings. We found um, well, there was a, a pretty common physician and um, physician assistant shortages, we found some of the counties uh, have a pretty high supply in terms of their rankings in the country of uh, primary care nurse practitioners. They were able to attract a a large amount of uh, nurse practitioners to fill in the primary care role. But in some of their nearby counties, you found those counties in the southeast were not able to get a high supply of, of nurse practitioners. And, and in fact, some of those counties actually had the lowest supply in the country of nurse practitioners. And some of them really were um, uh, very close, uh, loc- closely located nearby, uh, basically border to border counties. So th- those were surprising results to us.
0: Do you have any ideas about why some of those counties were areas within those counties, I should say, were more successful than others at recruiting or retaining nurse practitioners?
1: Uh, We certainly had uh, certain uh, guesses. Um, and we don't think it's a, like a federal po- level policy. Uh, we think mainly um, is some local healthcare uh, leaders or local county government incentives that were successfully attracting uh, nurse practitioners to those regions. Because some of the uh, areas where you see a high supply of uh, NPs were also poor counties. Uh, so we were um, within our own limited um Guess and research, uh, we think some some of the healthcare system leaders may be trying to get around the historical um, scope of practice law. And within their own incentive, within their ability, they were they try to have some um, innovative mechanisms for for MPs to be able to uh, to move in and and work in the region. Uh, and I do want to explain the scope of scope of practice law a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that is a very historical uh, uh, in 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 terms of uh, access. It can be viewed as a barriers uh, for the workforce de- development in many. Uh, in many states. Uh, Certain states in the US impose um, more restrict limitations of what nurse practitioners are able to do independently but are allowed to do independently by themselves. Um, and certain states have uh, more relaxed rules uh, for MPs to be able to um, practice independently in a clinic by themselves or prescribe medications uh, by themselves. Uh, and this, in the Southeast regions are uh, historically where you see most restrict uh, scope of practice laws that limit the ability of MPs.
0: So you mentioned that in the article, for instance, some nurse practitioners can only do certain things under the guidance of a local physician, mm-hmm. but if there's no physician, it sort of defeats mm-hmm. the purpose to try to recruit a nurse yeah, practitioner for right. that area, correct?
1: Exactly, right. and nurse practitioners may be also reluctant to locate you somewhere where they cannot uh, practice easily.
0: Right. So you talk about some of the uh, removal of some of these barriers due to the pandemic and they're temporary. What do states or the federal government need to do to address this issue? They
1: certainly uh, have to face the reality that uh, in in the most uh, poorly underserved disadvantaged areas, uh, there there has a big need for something to happen so people can have access to adequate and affordable primary care. That's really the basic of the healthcare needs, especially for uh, the population where you see a high disease burden. You've seen in the pandemic, some of those regions were really hit hardest. Unfortunately, the governments at state level and at the federal level for our centers for Medicare and Medicaid services, they were willing to relax certain and give exemptions for certain scope of practices, allowing more providers to see different types of patients and beyond their normal uh, allowed uh, practice range. Um, and as I've know, I'm known of, um, some states actually uh, were going to retain uh, what they've done in the pandemic. Um, currently, during the pandemic, um, those exemptions were are temporary. Uh, at certain point, many of them will, will end and will expire and the laws will uh, go back to where they were, the highly restrictive version. Um, but um, some states like Massachusetts and California, uh, California uh, they are waiting to um, let uh, the scope of practice laws like be more wider and inclusive um, for, for MPs to practice. Uh, but certain states, uh, especially based on our finding the Southeast states, Uh, They really should consider how to best uh, make uh, uh, the available resource uh, and and how to think about how to better distribute their workforce, allowing the uh, the re- more relaxed version of scope of practice law to remain even after the pandemic. I think that is one of the, of the top uh, priorities those states should consider because apparently based on our findings, NPs were willing to locate in areas where primary care physicians were uh, not existing. Um, so they, they really could fill in the role.
0: What are your concerns if we, and by we, I mean states and policymakers, if nothing is done about this issue, what are your fears? Well, my my greatest
1: fears were uh, the primary care deserts will will grow, Uh, at at least they are continuing to going to be there. And they are also going to face a growing aging population, Um, uh, the the lower income population when they age, uh, they will become lower income elderly who will enroll into the dual eligible program. So you certainly will have a higher and higher demand uh, with the reality of aging US population. But on the other hand, you do not have enough workforce to um, fill in the needs. Uh, So the the greatest fear is the maldistribution of workforce will will exist for a very long time where um, they're going to locate in in states where they're able to practice uh, with with more relaxed scope of practice laws, and they're going to locate in in, uh, more prosperous cities in in the coastal regions. And and really, um, I do want to say, um, in my view, the dual eligible populations are really among the most vulnerable ones in our society they are secure and they're low in, lower income um they they high they will highly rely on the primary care and the first a very very long time uh, most of the dual eligibles rely rely on very fragmented uh, specialty care when they actually really, really need it. There was no one to be there uh, to be responsible and to care for them for their totality of healthcare. But primary care workforce are really is the critical component um, to care for those beneficiaries. So go back to the question of what if nothing to be done like then it means a lot of those still eligible, actually majority of them um, in certain parts of the country will continue to, Leave with fragmented healthcare. And all those uh, federal and state level demonstrations um, with good intention for integrated care for those dual eligible beneficiaries uh, will not be able to fulfill their promises uh, with a shortage of of clinicians. There is no clinicians nearby. And if they do not exist, then uh, the goal of uh, having enhanced primary care basically will go in vain.
0: Is there anything else I forgot to ask or that you want to add?
1: Actually, this issue uh, has have, have drawn the attention of policymakers. Um, the National Academy of Medicine uh, recently uh, published a, a comprehensive report for the future of nursing in 2020 to 2030. Uh, they, they certainly agree with us, like the with a huge need of growing uh, a more balanced workforce beyond the physician workforce. Uh, and our studies are actually cited in the in the uh, National uh, Academy of Medicine report. Um, so I highly encourage people to also read the import uh, the report to get a very comprehensive uh, picture of what the country is needed for healthcare workforce and and to achieve a more equitable uh, healthcare outcomes for populations.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. For all of us at AGMC, thanks for listening. For more about this issue, visit AGMC.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, email info at AGMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AGMC underscore journal. And if you like Managed Carecast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.